to believe we'll be singing that song in heaven. Oh, that's beautiful. Holy, holy, holy. Last Sunday, we continued in our Grace Gift series with the third gift of teaching. And this morning, we're headed back over to Romans 12, and we're going to investigate today the gift of exhortation. So head back over to Romans 12, if you would. Good to see Mrs. Katie Boster here this morning with your grandparents and Good to have her always back in town, popping by. Keep praying for uh, Brother Don Ayers. We had uh, Carolee's homegoing service here this past week. Yeah, be praying for Brother Don over these next few weeks and yeah, months that God will work in his life. Also be praying for our juniors and seniors from the Christian school. They're headed on their senior trip this week. And yeah, be praying for safety for them. Romans chapter 12, verse number 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. The gift of exhortation today right after we pray. Father, Would you work in our lives today? And we know that there are some in this room this morning who you have given by the Holy Spirit this spiritual gift. And it could be that there are some who have never once considered that this could be the gift that you've blessed in their lives so that they can bless others within the local church and the kingdom of God. And so I pray that today would be a wonderful day in your house As we look at your word and we consider this together, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Take these hands and lift them up. For I have not the strength to praise you near enough. See, I have nothing. I am nothing without you. Take my voice and pour it out. And let it sing the songs of mercy I have found. See, I have nothing. I am nothing without you. And all my soul needs is all your love to cover.
without you. Take my body and build it up. May it be broken as an offering of love. See, I have nothing. I am nothing without you. And all my soul needs all your love to cover. Without you, Amen. love the message of that song. Thank you, Mrs. Stewart, for that. Mrs. Stewart does a great job on our staff, and we appreciate her. Every week in the series, uh, we're getting a little further in our understanding of spiritual gifts. Um, not just specifically, but also in general. And I'm not sure that, that I knew this before I studied this this past week, and, and maybe some of you scholars out there knew it, some of you people with the gift of teaching that we talked about in the last couple of weeks. But did you know that there are seven different Greek words in the New Testament that are translated as the word gifts in English? And, it, and I just ran through the list quickly, and there's uh, first anathema, which is a gift or offering consecrated to God. Would you look at it with me? It's Luke 21, and we'll just go buzz through these quickly in the introduction this morning, because it's so neat the way that God has put his word together and preserved it for us where we can still see it today. Luke chapter 21, and so when you see the word gift here, it's, it's the Greek word anathema. Luke 21 verse 5. And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. So there's the first one. Uh, Then there's the word doron, which refers to offerings. And that's in Revelation 11 at verse number 10. And so do your sword drill here and get over to Revelation. Get there quick. Whoever's first, stand. Oh, I'm just kidding. All right, did you ever play that game in Sunday school? Revelation. How many of you were really good at it? You were really good at it. See, look at this. I knew, I knew there would be some. 
Um, how many of you had to have the special Bible, though, for a, like, it's your sword drill Bible? Yep, right? So everybody knows this. You're the quick people. Revelation 11, verse 10. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. So this is talking about offerings. Then there's the word dorea. Um, and this is a free gift, like in salvation. Uh, we won't look at this one because it's in John 4. Jesus talked to the woman at the well and told her about the gift that he had to offer, which was salvation. So there's Dorea. Then there's Doma, which is the idea of a practical gift. This one's from the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 7. Look over there, Matthew chapter 7. Okay, so here we are, Matthew 7. This is right as Jesus is talking about how to pray. And look what he says in verse number 11. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? So this is talking about, about a practical gift. Something you'd give to your kids, like if it's their birthday or if they're needing something, or you see something that might be a blessing to them. If your kid asks for a fish, you're not going to give them a stone, right? There's nobody who's sadistic enough to think that way, right? There's no parents in the room today who would actually be mean to your kids, right? None, right? For sure, out there. Uh, there's a lot of asleep parents today, obviously, in the room, but I don't know if there's any who would actually do that. Um, James 1.17, the word is dosis, and this is the act of giving, all right? So James 1, now we're going to get to the fun stuff in a minute, you people. Stick with us. It's just the introduction. James chapter 1, verse number 17, love this verse. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The Greek word here uh, is the word dosis, talking about the act of giving. Every good gift, every good thing that's ever happened to you, it's because of God. It's not because of you. It's because of God. And this would be an appropriate place if you ever wanted to, to say amen. Right? Every good thing that's ever happened to you, Came from God. Look at your husband or wife right now. Right? You think of this verse. Did you think of the verse? Yes? Some of you, I don't know what's going on with you here this morning. Then there's another one, Hebrews. So this is the book back to your left. Hebrews chapter 2. Okay? This is the word marismus. Marismus. And it means a dividing or a distribution. Okay, so this is getting into the territory of spiritual gifts. Not quite there yet, but we're getting there. Look at Hebrews 2, verse number 4. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. So this is talking about a distribution of gifts. It's not talking about the actual seven spiritual gifts from Romans 12, 
but talking about in the early church how the Holy Spirit divided or distributed the gifts. And then there's the last one. This is the one we're talking about in the series, which is charisma. Uh, The plural form is charismata, and it means a gift of grace. It involves a grace on the part of God that's given, and God is always the donor on this. It never comes from anybody else. It's the one we're looking at in this series. Grace gifts are things that can never be achieved or never be possessed by our own efforts. Okay, so, so you don't all of a sudden think, boy, I sure would like to have the gift of teaching. I'm going to ask God for that. All right, well, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You were given a grace gift the moment you trusted Jesus Christ. All right, so it happened before you ever even understood what it was. By the way, there were a lot of things that happened that moment of salvation that you never even knew happened. How many, when you trusted Christ, you already understood what sanctification was? Right. How many of you understand what it is now? (laughs) Only like five of us, right? Um, Or redemption, or atonement, all these big, huge words that, that we find in the Scripture. We didn't know what they were, but they're benefits that we find out about after salvation. And we get to know what they are. It's kind of like when you have a, a tiny little baby and that baby's born. That baby does not yet know about the wonders of Briar's mint chocolate chip ice cream. And it's, it's hidden from that child. Hidden. And the child's already been born. But that child has never had a steak. Like a good beef steak. I'm trying to preach to you people. What in the world's going on out there this morning? Um, or fried chicken cooked by mama on a Sunday in the pan. Oh, I'm working up here. I feel like I'm pulling from the crowd today. But there's a gift that only comes from God. And we understand these gifts sometimes after we've been born again. After we know Christ. You know why? Because the natural man, saw this last week, cannot receive the things of God. They're foolishness to him. You have to have a spiritual nature to understand spiritual things. And and so this gift that we are covering today is an amazing gift, the gift of exhortation. Now, we've seen in previous weeks that one of the reasons we react to situations differently in the local church is the variety of spiritual gifts in us. And the person next to you probably reacts to things differently than you do. That person down the aisle, that that person across the way, reacts to things differently than you do, and it's because of spiritual gifts. And so here's a scenario for today. Let's say that seven different people, each with a different spiritual gift, visited a sick person in the hospital. Okay, what do you think that each of them would say? Well, the person with the gift of prophecy would show up and probably say something like this. What is God trying to tell you through this illness? Right? Good bedside nature. Uh, is there some sin you haven't confessed? Is, trying, is God trying to give you a wake-up call, brother? Right? So you got that from prophecy. Ministry. Here, I brought you a little gift. Now don't you worry, I took your mail in, and I fed your cat, and I watered your plants, and I washed your dishes, 
and everything's going to be just fine. How many would you like the person with ministry to show up? And that's the person you want to show up, right? The person with the gift of teaching shows up. Hey, I read up on your illness, and I, I believe I can explain what's happening to you. No thanks, the doctor was just in, okay? We're good with that. Now, exhortation, the one we're on today, they show up and say, you know, there are going to be other sick people in the church in days to come that we'll have to visit in the hospital. And how can we use what you're learning to help them in the future? Right? So they're thinking ahead all the time. And you're like, now may not be the best time to process this. But they're, they're thinking that way. The person with the gift of giving shows up and says, hey, have you got good health insurance? <laughs> right? They're, they're thinking of the financial aspect of this. The person with the gift of ruling says, hey, don't worry about things at church. I've already got someone to fill for you on the nursery schedule next Sunday. Things will be fine. And the person with the gift of mercy. Oh, I felt so bad when I heard you were sick. I know the hospital's not a fun place to be. How are you feeling? And you can see how we're all a little different. Right? You can see how not many of us like the people with the gift of prophecy. Why? Because they tell us the truth. Sometimes blatantly. And they just throw it out there. They proclaim it. Sometimes we don't like teachers very much because they always teach. We like people who help us. We like people who serve us. But we all have different gifts. And, and so today, the gift of exhortation. And we've talked in recent weeks, we've said every week, that each believer in Christ has a spiritual gift. There are no exceptions to that. God doesn't want us to waste those gifts by living in ignorance. And His Word tells us that we're accountable to use them. And when we do, the kingdom of God is blessed and the name of God is glorified. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us this morning. Let's talk about defining the gift of exhortation. So we're getting specific now. We talked about the general spiritual gifts. Now specifically the gift of exhortation. The word in Greek, it's a weird word, and you may even giggle when you hear it. Here it is, paraclesis. All right, sounds like a bird, right? Paraclesis, now nobody giggle. I, I thought that we'd have at least like two gigglers on the... In fact, I marked down, there will be two gigglers right here. Um, uh, paraclesis is the word, okay? Yeah, in fact, the noun for this is the word paraclete. Paraclete, which is kind of like parakeet. I don't know if you caught that. How many caught that? How many are here today? Okay. All right, so, so here we go. But it describes, here's what it describes. One who comes along, another person, and puts an encouraging arm around that person. Here's what's amazing about this word, paraclete. It's the same word in the Bible in John 14 for the Holy Spirit of God. It's His name. The name paraclete is the name for the Holy Spirit of God. Look at John chapter 14. This really is so neat. Especially if you're a person who has the gift of exhortation. John chapter 14. 
Look at verse number 16. And I will pray you the Father, and he shall give you another parakletos, another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. See, when Jesus was on the earth with the disciples, he was their comforter. But when he ascended into heaven, they were going to need another comforter. So Jesus plays this role, but the Holy Spirit's name in this passage is Parakletos. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. So there, there's the word again. I will come to you. Verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So this gift is described by the Holy Spirit's office of comfort in our lives. But you know, this word, paraclete, it's also used in a very strange place in 1 John chapter 2. And I want you to see it. It, it blew me away when I saw this. 1 John chapter 2. Okay, so back toward Revelation again. 1 John chapter 2. And I'm going to point out the word when we get to it. Here we go. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have a parakletos with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate with the Father. So Jesus also plays this role that an exhorter plays of being an advocate for someone. Of going in their behalf and trying to bring them along. And you know what an advocate does? An advocate sees better for you than you see for yourself. You ever had a time in your life where you saw no hope, no future, but somebody else came alongside you and said, hey, it's looking good for you. You're like, excuse me? Have you seen my life? Do you know how hard things are for me? Have you read my Facebook wall? Have you followed me on Twitter this week? My life is crumbled. My life is in splinters. They're like, no, things, things are good. Here's what's going to happen and God's going to work. And you have an advocate. You have a comforter in that person who's an exhorter. And so that's the definition of the gift. Now let's talk about discerning the gift of exhortation. How do you know if you have it? So we kind of know what it is, but how do you know if you have it? An exhorter brings a God-given encouragement to a situation in time of need. One of the great exhorters in the early church was a guy named Barnabas. Maybe you've heard of him before from the book of Acts. And this is neat because in, in the Greek, you know what his name means, Barnabas? It, it means this. It's actually written in the Greek. Son of Periclesis. Right? Son of Periclesis. Now that's a weird name. But that, that was his name, Barnabas. He, he was a comforter. He was, in English, son of consolation. So let's look at his life for just a few minutes as we offer some traits on this. Acts chapter 11. And hopefully these traits will help you discern some things regarding this gift. Acts chapter 11. And this is 
at the church at Antioch. Now, the church at Antioch became what the Bible might have taught us is the model church. The model local church. They were the ones who sent out missionaries. They were the ones who were first called Christians. And uh, so Acts chapter 11, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and, look at this word, exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. So he encouraged them. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Now this would be Saul of Tarsus, the guy who had been persecuting and killing Christians, the guy who had the road to Damascus experience. He went to literally seek him out. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So, so Barnabas, this role model of exhortation. Now, the people he were dealing with, these weren't Jews that had received Jesus. These were pagan Gentiles, people that would have been persecuted by the Judaizers. But Barnabas was sent to exhort them. Why? Because he had the spirit gift of exhortation. And, and you see in this passage that he also had become a mentor for Saul. And that follows through. In fact, they went on a missionary journey together. Paul's first missionary journey, Barnabas was the guy who ran with him. Barnabas was the guy who went on the journey with him. Now go to chapter 15. They've taken their first journey. And follow through. You're going to see this. Yeah, I just know you're going to be blown away. Acts 15, look at verse 36. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let's go again and visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. So Barnabas said, yeah, let's go. Let's take this guy John Mark with us. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So Barnabas said, hey, we need to give this kid a shot. Let's bring him back in. Let's go on a journey again. And Paul said, no, he messed up. He's out. And Barnabas, the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. They split up. Paul and Barnabas split up. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. So Barnabas was active throughout this whole process in the work of exhortation. You know what he understood? Sometimes disciples can have a contention with the very person who discipled them. Now, Barnabas could have pulled the I discipled you card. He could have said, hey, Paul, hold up here. Don't you remember that I'm the one who trained you? But you know what he did? He peacefully split up. 
he understood that maybe God wanted to have two teams out there instead of just one. And so they each grabbed another young man and they headed out in the work of God. And instead of letting it blow him out of the water spiritually, he chose a new disciple. That's what exhorters do. They don't give up because somebody disagrees with them or discounts them. They just find another person to put an arm around. And Barnabas was an excellent role model for personal mentorship, for one-on-one discipleship. God consistently uses exhorters to develop others to maturity. You know, because Paul had been personally mentored, he became a personal mentor who taught others that would teach others who would teach others. Paul learned from Barnabas to always have somebody with you that you can teach. And he taught a bunch of people. Silas and Timothy and Titus and Philemon in prison. There were people all along his journey where he said, hey, come along with me and learn the work of God. And that's what we have to do. Especially those who have the gift of exhortation. And it's easy to become discouraged. Do you know that we live... I'm sure you haven't noticed this. We live in excuse-making generation. And there are people who are looking for excuses not to serve God. Like, that guy was mean to me at the church, so I decided to become a drunk. The two really don't go with each other, do they? All right, This person down at Walmart said such and such to me, and I'm out of God's kingdom. I thought they were a churchgoer. I thought you were a churchgoer. See, sometimes we have to help people overcome the obstacles in their lives. And it's not easy. Sometimes the obstacles are giant. And yet an exhorter comes along and says, Hey, God's got a plan for you. God's got a purpose for you. Let's move ahead. Let's talk about the dangers of the gift of exhortation. And this is always the part that we hate to talk about, but it's there. We've seen seen pitfalls that exist with each spiritual gift. And when the vessel is not submitted to the Spirit of God, bad things can happen. And a person with this gift of exhortation who's not walking in the Spirit, here's the main thing I want you to get. He could lead others to have unfulfilled expectations because he leads them to assume that they'll reach goals much sooner than will actually happen. And this can devastate a new believer. There have been times in in my ministry that God's allowed me to have that I've been more excited for a young Christian than the young Christian is for himself. Right? I have him in my office And he's just trusted Christ. And I say, now listen, by the time you get to next week, you're going to be so excited about God. And you're probably going to memorize the book of John. You're probably going to read the whole Bible this week. And I'm sure you'll win at least four souls to Christ before next Sunday. And I'm foaming at the mouth. And the person across the desk is like, "Ah, get me out of here. I'm scared. Or you get somebody who's young in the faith. And they're growing in discipleship and say, you know what? God may have a specific call in your life. You may be a pastor someday. <gasps> right? You may be somebody who gives a testimony in church at some point. And all of a sudden, they never come back. 
remember my wife and I were first uh, in, in ministry in Boise, and we've been in Idaho for 15, 16 years now. But, but we had this like train wreck of ministry for a couple of years. Every time we took a family to our house to mentor them, family that had come to church, they never came back. And after a while, we kind of got gun shy. We started taking them to Dairy Queen instead. Like, what's wrong with our house? Sometimes they still didn't come back. You know, looking back, part of it was that we were so excited to have a young, growing church that we gave way too much of the vision at one sitting. And there's this iceberg theory, you know, in the church, you're only supposed to let people know 10% of where things are headed because if you see the whole thing, it'll blow your mind. And sometimes that's what we do as young Christians. We say, God's got these huge plans for you, and I could see you becoming a missionary to northern Africa and dealing with Muslim people. Right? (laughs) I scare people to death. Now, we have to be spirit-filled when we deal with them as exhorters because we can scare them. And that's a big danger. You know, exhorters love to help other people with their problems. Sometimes they're more willing to give their time sacrificially than anybody else. But this can cut pretty deeply into their own family responsibilities. And I've seen exhorters before who start to treat their own family members as projects. Like, I'm working on this guy. We're going to get him in. I'm working on this person. She just happens to be my cousin, but we're going to get her in. And they don't mean to do this, but sometimes they put confidence in action steps. And, and you know, you lay this out. You're going to do this and this and this. For a while in counseling, it seemed like every time somebody left my office, they'd have like six post-it notes, right? Like, you need to do this, okay? Do this, do this. And they'd probably walk out the door like, what in the world? I, I came for help, and I've got six action steps that are totally unrelated. And, and sometimes we give out these action steps because we think it's going to take somebody to the next level spiritually. But if it's not ordained by God, it's dangerous. And a, here's another one that can wound so deeply. Exhorters who are not disciplined might share the confidences of people they've helped as illustrations without permission. Now, the church where I grew up, routinely, this is sad, routinely, the pastor got up and talked about counseling appointments he had had that week with people in the church. They didn't say their names, but everybody knew who he was talking about. And it devastated them. Can you imagine somebody who came in and bared their heart and this guy got up and used it and abused it from the pulpit. Do you ever want to go back to him again? Do you trust the fact that he's going to hold your confidence in confidence? And listen, as exhorters, we have to be so careful. If somebody shares something so deep and so personal with you about their walk with God or about their life, you have to hold that. and You have to keep it with you and God. You have to be very careful that you don't share that. And even, even to share it as a prayer request. 
Because that happens in Baptist churches. Uh, the prayer request is the gossip chain. Pray for old brother so-and-so. He cheating on his wife. You pray for that lady. I saw her walk out of a bar last week. You think that's real, intentional, spiritual help? Or a spread the word? We have to watch out. If you really cared about old brother so-and-so, maybe you should walk up to him and tell him you care for him. Because really what you're doing, could I authentically tell you as I preached to you just for a second, you know what you're doing? You're stomping his head in. You're crushing the body of that believer who's already been wounded by his own sin. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, you better be careful with people who've been wounded because someday you'll be wounded. Someday you'll need help. Someday you'll need restoration. Someday you'll need a friend. And if you're going to need a friend, you better be a friend. And exhorters are the people in the church who see this need and they step up. But exhorters, I warn you about another thing. Exhorters, they get involved sometimes in projects because it's headed toward the ultimate goal of moving people along. And then they have a bad habit of abandoning the project because they see a better project coming up. You know, this can hurt the people you work with because they may think that they got abandoned. And so just a, just a word to the wise, if you're an exhorter out there, let me mention one more thing. You remember that Paul said in, in Acts 15, he said, I'm not taking John Mark with me. We don't know exactly why that happened, but we know that Barnabas, the exhorter, refused to send him away. And you know, exhorters can sometimes oversimplify sin problems. Because they want the person to be able to move ahead. They can say, oh, he didn't mean to do it. And not actually deal with the problem. Now, we need to be gracious and we need to restore people in faith by grace. But we have to deal with actual problems. You know, in the year 2013, we don't have fewer sin problems to deal with. We have more than ever. We have more than ever. In every local church across America, we deal with things that you could not imagine. You could not imagine dealing with 30 or 40 years ago. I mean, independent Baptist churches 40 years ago didn't deal with homosexuals who needed counsel. It just never happened. It wasn't on the scene. There were not routinely 10 or 15 couples who showed up at church who weren't married on a Sunday. There were not all the things that we face today. And listen, the truth is as true as it's ever been. But the grace of God is as strong as it's ever been. And we have to understand what the balance is and what God has for us. We could stand up here with a Morton salt container and throw salt at you. We could even shoot it out of a shotgun. Right? Just fill the shotgun shells with salt. Boom! Truth, baby! Walk out with that! <laughs> right? You want some more? Boom! Right? Boom! Have some more. Or we could do what Jesus said to do. He said He was full of grace and truth. 
He gave the truth seasoned with salt. You know, the best way to offer salt that I've ever found in my life, chocolate chip cookie. You know, the best way. I mean, you put a teaspoon of salt in this mass of wonder. And you mix it up and you stir it around and you put it in the oven for 12 minutes and you bring it to church and every person's happy. Right? If we passed out chocolate chip cookies this morning, right now, there are people in this room who would be so happy that you came to church. Not because of truth, because of the stinking cookie. And when we offer truth as exhorters, we have to remember that there is a truth that has to go across. But we have to be gracious in giving it. We have to understand that these are souls that we're working with. Hurting souls. And that brings us to the delights of the gift of exhortation. We've said repeatedly that Jesus was the perfect earthly model for all spiritual gifts. And when a gift is used according to His example, it's a great blessing to the church. Do you think that the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present Son of God could have had more than 12 disciples? Of course He could. He could have had as many as He wanted. But you know, He modeled for us the values of the kingdom. 12 disciples, one of whom betrayed Him, others who denied and doubted Him, three who were closer friends, one who was an extremely close friend, So inside the realm of his own disciple group, Jesus showed us the role of exhortation. Look at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I love this. Jesus modeled this with a few of the men that he called. Luke 5, verse number 27. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. You know what that is? That's exhortation. That's walking up to somebody who's hated by society, who is a well-known sinner, and putting your arm around that person and saying, hey, come with me. He did it with some fishermen, too. He did it with people whose society said, eh, not really buying in with these guys. You don't have a theology degree. You didn't go to Pharisee school, and yet Jesus walked up and said, hey, leave your nets, come with me. That's exhortation. And he did it inside of his own disciple group. But he also did it outside the realm of his disciples. Look at Luke 19. Luke chapter 19. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because you guys know this story. You sang about it in Sunday school, right? You remember this? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Cha-cha. You remember this? Okay? Not the cha-cha part, but the, the rest. Luke 19. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And you remember Jesus goes along and calls him out of a tree and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, get down here. I'm going to have lunch today at your house. Exhortation taking place right before us. How about John 
chapter 8. Last one, John chapter 8. And this one is, it's really almost difficult to imagine. The scene of the day that John 8 took place. Jesus had gone onto the Mount of Olives, most likely to pray. And early in the morning, he heads back into the temple. And he's teaching people. The scribes and Pharisees bring this woman in. This shaken woman, probably crying, probably in despair. And they said to Jesus in verse number four, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? And you may remember this story. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they kept asking, hey, we need an answer on this. We need to stone this woman. They didn't want to stone the man involved, caught in the very act. In fact, they didn't bring him. He put his Pharisee robe on and came with them. But Jesus continued to write on the ground. And finally, he said, he who is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. That's exhortation. You know, he saw in this broken, battered, sinful woman hope in Jesus Christ for the future. Could I tell you that without Jesus Christ, you have no hope? None. I don't care what your profession is. I don't care how important you are, how rich you are, how much you come to church, how much you give. Without Jesus Christ, you have no hope. None. But on the opposite end of that, Christ in you is the hope of glory. With Jesus Christ, you can become whatever God wants you to be. And He's gifted you to be just that. Jesus repeatedly befriended and defended people who were unlikely recipients of God's goodness. Just like us. None of us deserve God's love and mercy, but He freely gave it. My question today is, first of all, to believers. Has God spoken to your heart today about your role in exhortation? You know, you don't have to be confident that you have this gift to be involved in mentoring and befriending those around you. Jesus wants all of us to do that. Jesus wants us all to be friendly believers and to share His grace. But there's another question I have for you. Have you met the best friend you could ever have? Jesus Christ? Have you ever met Him personally? Do you know that He's involved in your life today? Do you know that you have eternal life? Those are questions that we like to ask as we close the service this morning. Would you bow in prayer? As we bow, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or to share anything out loud today, but I would like to invite you if you're a believer, to bow your heart before God. And you can use the altar, you could bow at your seat. And to say, Jesus, I want to know the spiritual gift you've given me. 
I would be willing to use it in your kingdom for your glory. If you're not a believer in Christ today and and there's something inside of you that's saying, I need a Savior. I need that hope you talked about today. You could come during this time and take my hand or after the service or any time during the week and we would be happy to share with you from the Word of God how you can know for certain that Jesus is your one and only Savior. Father, would you work in our lives today for your glory, by your grace. Help us to make decisions that are worthy of a Savior who died on a wooden cross for our sins. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Would you stand? As you stand, Miss Haynes is going to play. If you